Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted to be up here bringing the word of the Lord to you today. My prayer as we begin is that you don't hear my words and you don't just hear what you hear, but that we hear God speak to us this morning as we open his text together and his word to us. A friend of mine uh, who's just highly gifted in evangelism uh, was talking to me a number of years ago about when he moved into his house three decades ago. He said uh, he met his neighbor standing there on the front lawn. I remember standing on his front lawn as he's telling me this story. He said, as I met my neighbor, the, the couple that lived next door, they didn't know Jesus Christ. And I put it in my mind, they are going to come to know Jesus Christ. And he said, a year later, they came to know Jesus Christ and became disciples of him. He has the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean that it's not something that we can all do. We can all do that. If, we're, if we know Jesus Christ, we can share Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that this morning, but I want to just explore a little bit of the motivation. What drove him to do that to his neighbor? Love of God and love of neighbor. And we're going to open up the text in just a moment, Matthew 22. I'll, I encourage you to find it. You can find it already. Um, if, you're, if you've got your Bible open already, you're conveniently there. Um, but as we do this, let's review. Last week, in the beginning of this sermon series, we asked a question as we looked at the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us to go into all the world to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach everything that he commanded. And I'm with you always. It's that great promise that comes with it. And we asked the question, do we... Not do I and not do you, but do we, as God's people, have the passion to complete the mission? Do we have the passion to keep going out and taking that message? Or do we believe that it's already been done and we have no part in that? I hope the answer is obvious, but the sort of implications that we came up with out of that last week were that we need to be specifically praying, not just generally praying to complete the mission, but very specifically praying for people in our lives who need to hear the good news. And receive it as good. And we need to be in the business of not just praying, but inviting those people in a kingdom direction. And whether that means a simple standing on the front lawn, presenting the good news, whether it means going out to lunch or coffee or whatever, or means inviting them to God's people and join in worship to see what disciples do, then those are the things that we need to do. So that's what we talked about last week. Jesus tells us to go into the world to share the good news and take it to everybody we can. And if we're going to take it to everybody we can, guess what? That means we need to take it to somebody in our neighborhood and in where we live. We're part of that everywhere and everyone. And so we recognize in Jesus' words and the mission that he gives us that as the church, we're really the only organization that exists for the people who aren't here yet. We're we're an organization that exists for the people who down the street right now are just waking up from us and don't even have us on their mind. We exist for them. We exist for people who are hungover this morning, who have no thought about it. We exist for people who are really happy in their lives. They're successful. They're making a lot of money, but they don't know the joy of the Lord. And this is all they'll ever know. But they won't know the joy that comes in God's kingdom. We exist for all those people that don't have us on their radar. Can you celebrate that with me this morning, that we're called to take the good news out and it would be good to them? That's good stuff. I'm preaching. I hope you're hearing this morning. You can respond back. Bonhoeffer says, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell everyone of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist 
for others. We exist for more than just what's happening in this room. We do obviously exist to glorify God, but we exist to do that outside too and to bring others in. So as we go through this series that we're on, we've done companion Sunday school class this morning, which was fun to be a part of. I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks. We're visioning our way to just a new phase of kingdom life. That's all we're doing. What we're asking is after 126 years, it's another year. God, what kingdom work do you have for us now? It's that simple. We stand on the foundation of the past and we continue to walk forward and we say, God, where are you calling us? We deliberately and consciously, as your people, ask that question and we want to continue to ask it year after year after year. What are you calling us to now? How are you calling us to take the good news out so that it's good for the world around us and they hear it and respond? So let's turn to Matthew 22. Let's see what Jesus has to say in the face of a a question about the commandments. Starting Matthew 22, verse 34. Jesus uh, is challenged. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We often speak in the church of our mission in the the Great Commission, which we heard last week to go into all the world to make disciples, and the Great Commandment, that is to love God and love neighbor. And so that's today what we're talking about, is the great commandment that God gives. What we see in the context is the Sadducees have already struck out with Jesus. These are a group of people uh, who control the rights of the temple within the life of Israel. Everybody involved here is Jewish. Jesus, Sadducees, Pharisees, they represent different groupings within uh, ancient Israel, which at this point is sort of under the rule of the Roman Empire. The Sadducees were the people who who took care of the temple and were supposed to take care of the temple, but they also buddied up to the Romans. And so they seemed pretty compromised to most of the general population uh, in uh, in their intent. We'll say that. And so they come to Jesus, if you read earlier in the text here, and they've already challenged Jesus' authority. And Jesus then questioned their fidelity to God and to the mission of Israel, what God has called them to. So they struck out. So then the Pharisees think, we'll take a crack at this. The Pharisees represented a smaller grouping of people who followed the rules and then some um, and made sure everybody else saw that they followed the rules and then some. It wasn't really for everybody else to join them necessarily. But the Pharisees then questioned Jesus, and this is not a wholehearted question in an attempt to seek the truth, but to trap Jesus or to trick him in some way. There was clearly a debate that had gone on for some time within those circles of rabbis and Pharisees and scribes, people who were very concerned about the law. They were trying to make a hierarchy in their discussions of what was the most important commandment and what fell below it so that really if you broke one, you'd know I'm I'm going to try to not break the bigger one and I'll break the smaller one, you know, that kind of thing along the way. So in trapping Jesus like this, 
they're either going to think, we'll get a milk toast answer, and that'll show that this guy's nothing, or we'll get a controversial answer out of him, and then we got something to work with, right? And so what do they get out of Jesus? The first part of the answer is pretty uncontroversial, actually. When, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the Shema. That's basically discipleship in Israel 101. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you're going to put these things on your hand and on your forehead and on the doorpost of your houses. Never forget it. Right? Everybody knew this. That's from Deuteronomy 6. They lived it out. That was supposed to be, I mean, people literally wore it on them. Even if you go to Israel today, you see people have it tacked on the doorposts of their homes. This was deeply ingrained in the way that they lived. The Shema here is what that means. But part two is where it becomes problematic. Because Jesus doesn't just say right below it is, but at the same level of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is love your neighbor as yourself. Now we're into some dangerous territory. Uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight comments on this. And uh, he says this. He says, we cannot overemphasize the importance of the Shema for Jewish spiritual formation. To be sure, he said, Jesus accepted the Shema, but he also added to it. The question we then ask is, is Jesus suggesting only a subtle amendment? No. It takes real pluck to add to the sacred Shema. McKnight continues, he says, Most of my readers will know the Apostles' Creed and will know that if I were to add a few lines after and life everlasting, such as, and in supporting your local church by giving a tithe of your income before taxes, that even in a civilized church I would get sucker punched. Jesus obviously adds to this in a very important way. This is not just a milk toast answer. It's significant, and because of that, we need to listen carefully to what he says. So if we hear sort of the three commands that are there, we hear simply to love God, to love self, and to love neighbor. And you can see a flow or a progression that can come from that, or how they all work together. Those three commands put together represent God's heart. So if we talk about loving God, we can consider the scripture we just heard before the sermon, the wedding banquet. In that case, it's no accident where it comes, and it's no accident that Jesus told it. It relates to this. I'm not going to do a lot with it right now. Go home and read the two together and see what more you can do with it. But consider what Jesus tells in that parable. He tells of the king who sends out an invitation to a wedding banquet for his son. This would have been a known uh, sort of event that could happen in the ancient world. A rejection of that kind of invitation was a supreme insult. Imagine, if you would, somebody that's famous, uh, that you think is a wonderful person that you would love to sit down and have lunch with um, or get to know in some way, and they send you an invitation. And you say, pa, I don't need to go to that, Right? I mean, you're, you're, taking, you're not taking a pretty big opportunity before you. But even more so, this is insulting. This is a very insulting move to send out the invitation and the first time it goes out, they reject the invitation to the king's banquet for his son's wedding. Then uh, they ignore the invitation, or part of the crowd does, and part of the crowd is hostile. 
and kills the messengers along the way. All the while, the people who are rejecting, ignoring, and showing hostility towards the invitation are enjoying the benefits of the king and the peace that he brings and the rule that he brings within his area. So they're ignoring all the good that he does and just taking all the benefits of his reign and rule. We can do the same thing if we're not careful. And people will sometimes do this. Sometimes we'll do this. Sometimes people we know will do this. If we're going to love God, we actually have to love God. And sometimes we can do all the good things or take all the good things that God gives us without loving God. So, for instance, many people can try and do good and love their neighbor without actually loving God. And while there's good to that, we haven't done the full and complete thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God first and foremost. Many people uh, have the spiritual rumblings within them, but they don't acknowledge them. And so we're spiritual uh, more than ever, even though we're kind of losing that in our culture, but we ignore those. The invitation's coming. God's got more rumbling in us, but we, we push it down. We ignore the invitation to God's presence all too often. Some of us reject that invitation uh, with a little more... Uh, not just ignoring it, but, but full-on rejecting it because it inconveniences our lives to listen to what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. And so we're not showing love to God in that way. And then, of course, there are some of us who even just things go wrong in this life and we blame God for the things that are actually the consequence of human rejection of God and evil and our complicity and sin yet we blame the king. The truth of the matter is, God's never intruding on our life. We often ignore God's grace and goodness, God's love. God is the giver of all good things, and God is an inviting God who invites us into his presence, and we're supposed to love God. God first loved us. Second thing we read is to love your neighbor as your Self, And so it's important to catch that love self. For some of us, um, some people end up having very low self-esteem. It is hard to love yourself. You've been told you don't matter. You compare yourselves. Thank you to all the social media out there. We compare ourselves all the time, and our life's never good enough, so we don't think we matter. Right? Whatever it is, we, we can't achieve what we want to achieve. And we have such anxiety about it that we can't achieve it, so we feel like nothing matters. Nothing amounts to anything. Or we can be on the other end. We can have like a hyper ego, and everything revolves around me, and everybody loves me, and God loves me too, and why wouldn't God love me? Because everybody loves me, and I'm great, right? We can be on those two ends of the spectrum. Probably a lot of us are somewhere in the middle between those two. Some days we think highly, some days we think uh, not highly enough. But we should recognize that we're made in the image of God, but let's not stop our theology there, as too often happens right now. We're made in the image of God. That gives us value, first and foremost. But we also have to recognize that we're part of the problem. So we've, we've uh, broken that relationship with God in one way or another through sin and our complicity in sin. We're estranged from God's family. We're, we're outside of it because of that. The relationship is broken. And through Jesus Christ, we're given the chance to be redeemed or reconciled or adopted back in to that family. That's the progression. 
That's something we should be thankful for. And our real self is only discovered in God's self. Our real self is only discovered when that image of God is put back together in the redeemed self. It's only by knowing God that we can actually know who we are and who we're supposed to be. There's no other source by which we can get to know who we really are. And so when the two are brought together in union again, God's self and who we are, who we're created to be and then redeemed to be, at that point, a spiritually formed child of God comes to be. And a spiritually formed child of God has a heart that beats in rhythm with God's heart. And so we can more easily love God. We can more easily love self. And if we're doing those, guess what's going to happen? We're going to want that love to grow and extend and love our neighbor because that's who God loves. When Stephanie and I and and the family were uh, at the previous church coming here, we'd been called here, we were going to come, we had to sell our house in Colorado, and uh, we were one of the relationships we were sad to leave was with our neighbor who was a single mom, two kids, and her sister lived with her too. And we had gotten to know them. We'd been bringing them to Alpha at church, having them over for dinner uh, fairly regularly, having the kids play together. She was spiritually hungry. And we were trying to reach uh, both uh, all of them in the family and let them know the love of Jesus Christ. They would become disciples. And so when we were doing the closing paperwork, we met the people that were buying the house from us as they're sitting across the table. And in those in-between times, because you sign, I don't know how many trees worth of paper in doing that, um, we're making small talk in between, bringing in the next round of paper. And we find out, okay, they go to this church. It's a good church. They, they're disciples of Jesus Christ. We discover that. And we're telling them, you know what? We're sad to lose that, the relationship in the way that we have it. Because here's what we're trying to do. And I remember our neighbors, well, the, new, the people buying the house were like, oh, yeah, we'll pick it up where you left off. We're happy to invite them to church. We're happy to tell them about Jesus Christ and keep working on your neighbor so she can know Jesus because she's our neighbor too. That's love of neighbor. It, very literally, love of neighbor, isn't it? Consider to yourself this morning, who told you about Jesus Somebody probably told you about Jesus at some point in your life. Somebody probably shared who Jesus was and what that means, maybe even multiple people multiple times, but somebody shared Jesus with you. Maybe you could even pick up who invited you to church if that's how you got here, right? Who invited you to youth group if that's how you got here, those sorts of things. Who even drove you here if that might have been the case? Somebody did. Somebody made that extension of themselves and it showed love of neighbor. And at one time, everybody in this room was a loved neighbor. At one time, you were on the outside. Maybe you still are today. Maybe you're saying, "I, I don't know Jesus yet, and today's a good day. Talk to me later. But at one time, you were a loved neighbor. So the question becomes, is that love in you today? to extend that and love your neighbor like you were loved. If we're going to ask the question, how will we show this this week? How will this love come out? How will we be able to love God, love self, and love neighbor and have that extend from us? Here are a couple thoughts I have that I think you can do. The first is this, and you can even practice this this morning. Your story is a gift, so share it. The story that you have in Jesus Christ 
is something that's actually a gift that you can share with others. And so I would suggest, if you really want to get a head start, and don't just, you know, take me for saying this and then that's it, try it. Really try it. When you go out and get coffee afterwards or tea, whatever you're drinking, and then you get your snack on the plate, sit down with somebody else, even come back in this room if you need to, sit down with somebody else and share your story. Share your story of how you came to know Jesus. Share your story of why it matters. And share your story about what God is actively doing in your life right now. And so you may think to yourself, okay, Pastor Evan, I like the idea, but I don't feel like God is actively doing much in my life right now. I think I have a boring story. That's okay. Sit down with somebody and tell what you know. Somebody you trust. Because then they can reflect back to you. Is it possible that God's working in this way? Or is it possible that we can work together to have God work in your life? Is it possible that we can pray together or walk together so that your story is active and alive today? But try it. Sit down with somebody, even today, and share your story. The more you share, the more opportunities you're going to see to share. The less you share, the fewer opportunities you see to share. Start it. Practice it starting this morning and keep telling people. But here's the other part of that. When you're sharing your story, you have to realize that, that this is why it's good to practice so that you know all the parts and pieces and how they can work together and you've, you've reflected it out to somebody. Um, you have to learn to listen to tell the story well. About a year ago, I got to sit down with somebody who was putting their life together and uh, as I'm sitting across the, the table from them at lunch, I listened and by listening, I get a little purchase into their life. When I'm, when I'm ready to talk, they're ready to receive what I have to say because I listen to their story. And not only that, I have an educated chance to share how my story intersects with their story, how God has worked in specific ways in my life and could do the same in theirs. It's not a generic story that I told here to somebody else on Sunday. It's a specific story that has relevance to their life. That's what we're practicing for. So that when you run into people uh, that you know, your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever, that you can be very specific in addressing why is this good news? In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Even now that's our hope, and even now we're citizens of God's kingdom if we've said yes to Jesus, even when we live in a world that's not moving at that pace, that doesn't have that hope. But if you're part of God's kingdom today, then show it wherever you go. Make each moment a kingdom moment. And just so you know that I practice what I preach, because I had advanced warning on what the sermon was uh, by Thursday, I've been trying this for the last couple of days. To consciously say that in my mind, every interaction, I mean every transaction I have at the store, I think I was at Hy-Vee three times over the weekend, right? Every transaction, I was like, this is a kingdom moment. I don't know if this will amount to anything, but this is a kingdom moment because I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And I represent Jesus wherever I go, and I'm going to share his love wherever I go. I don't know if the conversation can progress, but I'm going to pray that it can. 
I'm going to pray that I can lead this conversation or this moment in a kingdom direction. If you want a real practical way to do this, uh, where you work or where you go to school, um, I, you know, in my workplace, most of my meetings start with prayer. That's a good thing in a church, I think. Uh, but I'm out and about in the world, too, school meetings and different things, and not every meeting I go to starts with prayer. But that doesn't mean I can't pray in a meeting. In fact, I do. That means when, when you're out on a call with, with a coworker or you're out visiting a client or you're in a meeting or wherever you are, pray for those interactions. Pray for the people around the table. Get specific that those kingdom moments can come from those relationships that you've developed. Third thing I, I want to point out that we can do, and uh, as I do this, band, why don't you come back up here because that will tell everybody we're getting close to the end. Um, the third thing is practice hospitality and practice it in God's house first. Right? You're here. You're here with people you know and love, but guess what? There are people here that you don't know as well, and there are people here that might be new to you, completely new to you, new faces. And one of the defining features I think we should have as God's people is that we greet, greet, and greet one another. And let me just tell you, so that we get it out of the way, you, when you greet somebody you don't know, for some of us, we're socially more awkward than we, than we think we are, and some of us are socially as awkward as we know we are, right? Some of those interactions will be awkward. Great. That's all right. It's better to say the wrong thing than nothing at all to somebody, right? So try it. Greet, greet, and greet those who are in God's house, because if we can do it here, we can do it out there, but if we don't do it here, what right do we have to think that we're going to take God's kingdom out there, but we can't do it when we're meeting together as God's people. It's got to start here. The last thing I want to say is bring your story back. So as you go out in the world, as you share, as you make every moment a kingdom moment, and write that down, by the way, if you're taking notes, make each moment a kingdom moment. Say it to yourself this week. Bring your story back here so that as we collectively continue to ask the question, God, what kingdom work do you have for us now? It's not just my answer and it's not just your answer. It's our answer of how God is working in his people. That's how we answer the question. And guess what? I believe God's already equipped us to do the work we need to do. Anybody else believe that in the house today? I believe God has already equipped us to do the work that he has called us to do. Yeah, we need to do some rearranging of things and make sure we're always budgeting correctly and all those kinds of things, but God has given us the gifts and abilities the energy, the passion, the love to do what he's called us to do already. So our job is to pray and listen and ask God how, where, when. Send us, God. We know you've gifted us. So how can we expand your kingdom in the city that we love, among the people that we love? That's all we're answering in this. And we do it together. Let's pray. God, I pray that you prepare our minds and our hearts, that you prepare our lives to be receptive to your word, that when your spirit begins to work in us, we'd recognize that, the rumbling and the inkling, and we'd not ignore the work of your spirit within our lives. Put the story in our heart of how much you love us so that we can take the story out and show how much you love our neighbor. God, put the story in us so that we recognize how much you love us so that we can love our neighbors too.
Not just tell them how much you love them, but tell them how much we love them too. God, put your story in our heart. Make each moment a kingdom moment in our lives. Make us fully aware of that and not forget when we walk out the door that we are citizens of your kingdom, that we are members of your family by adoption, that we get the benefits you give, but God, we take you with us wherever we go and we are your representatives in this world. Help us make each moment a kingdom moment today and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen.